Welcome to the podcast for First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights. In this sermon series, Black Swan, we are exploring Jesus through the eyes of Mark's gospel. We are going to be looking at the reason why Jesus, who started off as a poor peasant from Nazareth, became one of the most influential figures in the Western world. I hope you enjoy. I'd like to begin this morning by telling you all a modern parable. It's a parable that was written by an author whose name is Matthew Kelly. And this parable, it revolves around a cleaning company called Admiral Janitorial Services, hence the mop sitting in front of my pulpit. (laughs) So Admiral was a cleaning company that specialized in cleaning large spaces, whether it was business buildings or schools, sports arenas or movie theaters, they would take a team of people in there and get that thing spick and span. Now like most companies that provided cleaning services, they had a very high turnover rate, meaning that people quit very frequently from the jobs. Their turnover rate was about 400% at Admiral. Now do you know what that translates into? That means every three months a person would quit. So it's, you'd start and then three months later you were gone. Now this three month time frame, this turnover rate, was really hurting their bottom line because you think about it, you bring somebody in, you get them trained on how to do the job, and then three months later they're out. Well, that's really hurting your ability to do your job well. And so they were in danger of losing contracts because they couldn't quite keep up with the demand because they were losing people so often. Well, all this began to change when the general manager of Admiral began to look at this problem. The executives at Admiral assumed that the reason why the turnover rate was so high had to do with a very simple equation. Hard work and low pay. Most people don't want to work a job like that that's really hard work and low pay. Can you agree with that? Yeah, right? Everybody likes easy work and high pay. That would be the easier thing to do. But he felt that that assumption was probably not correct. So he asked the president of the company if he could conduct a survey of the 400 plus workers they had there. And the president was a little skeptical, but he said, sure, go ahead, conduct whatever survey you want. So they hand this survey out to the employees. And understandably, they were a bit skeptical of its purpose. Admiral had never really shown any interest in their employees' well-being before, Why all of a sudden did they all want to care about what was going on in their lives? Well, in the end, 187 people filled out the survey. And what came back from that confirmed what Simon thought was the case, which is that the executives at Admiral didn't quite have it right. As he started combing through all of the pages that they had written out, what he realizes is that for most of these people, they lacked good transportation options. How many people in here own a car, have a car that they use to get them to and from places? Okay, almost all of you. So these people, because they were paid so little, many of them could not afford to purchase or lease a vehicle. And so what that meant was they had to utilize public transportation. Now public transportation is great except that in this particular place where Admiral is located, it shuts down at a certain time of night and then starts up again 
in the early morning. A lot of these people, when they worked their shifts, they would start in the early evening, and it would end when the public transportation was closed. Furthermore, a lot of these places where they ended up working, it was very dangerous at night. So it wasn't the fact that this work was too hard or it was beneath them. It was just the fact that they had to choose between their job and their safety. And which one did they choose? Safety, which is what you would choose as well. So Simon made a proposition to the president. He said, here's what I think we should do. Let's institute a van pickup program that will go get these people at their home, take them to their job, and then pick them up from the job when it's over, the work site, and bring them back. Now you can imagine that the president of the company was not particularly happy about this because it was going to cost a lot of money to do that, and money was the one thing they didn't have. But they were in such dire straits that they gave it a shot. And within one year of implementing this van pickup program, their turnover rate had dropped from 400% to 224%, almost cut it directly in half. But Simon wasn't satisfied. He felt they could do more. So he asked if he could do another survey, except this time he asked a very different kind of question. The question he proposed to them was, what are your dreams? Now, because the executives had responded so well to the first survey. The employees knew that they were listening and that they would actually give something tangible back to them. So they took this survey very seriously. And what he collected and started reading really struck him. Many people said that one of their dreams was just to own a vehicle so they could get to and from the places where they wanted to go. Other people said that they wanted to take a vacation. Many had never been on a vacation in their entire lives. One person wrote, a proper Christmas. Another person wrote, a better life for my child. Some of them said they wanted to own their own business. A lot of them wanted to be able to send their children to college. 60% said that they wanted to own their own home. Now, what he realized after reading all of these responses was that the executives at Admiral were very disconnected from the day-to-day -day struggles of their employees. Many of the things that they wrote down on these sheets were things that almost all the upper management took for granted in their lives. And so Simon began to wonder, could Admiral become the kind of company that helps their employees' dreams come true? So he approached the executive board, and he made a proposition. He said, I'd like to form a new position here at Admiral, and this position would be called a dream manager. A dream manager would be a combination of a financial planner and a life coach. And the purpose is that every single person at Admiral would go and meet with this dream manager, and he or she would help that person figure out a plan to achieve their dreams. Well, you can imagine how the board reacted to this idea. They thought it was crazy because they're a janitorial company, not a financial firm. But the president had seen such good results from the van pickup program that he said, you know what? Let's give it a try, see what happens. And within a year of hiring the dream manager, this company was undergoing a total transformation. One of the first people who the dream manager met with was this 54-year-old woman named Rita. 
Now, Rita had placed down on her form that she wanted to own her own home. So the dream manager met with her, and he was able to figure out a way that she could actually purchase a home. It wasn't anything huge or large, but, you know, it was hers. It was something that she owned. And she was so proud of this that she started inviting some of the employees from Admiral over to her house every Wednesday night. She'd have dinner, and she just wanted to show off because she was the first person in her family to own a home. And as people came to her house and they saw that the dream manager could actually make a difference, this idea caught on like wildfire. Eventually, Admiral hired two more dream managers at their company. And within five years, the turnover rate had dropped from 400% to just 12%. What was happening was, because of the dream manager program, people were literally knocking down their door, begging for positions. And because there was so much money coming in to the company, because they were getting contracts left and right, and this was because the employees were so loyal to the company, they wanted to do a great job, and they were cutting costs left and right. And so the president, he started upping people's wages because he was making so much money, he said, I don't need all this money, let's give it back. And he had incentive programs to help some of those people out who were the best employees. In fact, some of their best employees, they even helped them find new jobs at other companies so that they could improve their standard of living and do better for their families. Who would have thought that a janitorial company could do so much to help so many people? Now, why am I telling you this story? That's a cool story, right? I mean, it's an interesting story. But what does it have to do with us? Well, if a janitorial company can make a significant contribution to helping people's lives, then a church, which exists for the sole purpose of serving God's people, should be able to make a significant contribution as well. Do we agree with that? Yes. All right. You all are all dream managers, every single one of you in here. You have spent your entire lives trying to bring your own dreams to life. And now it is time for us to start helping other people bring their dreams to life. And the way we're going to do that is through the vision for our church. Now, over the last two months, you've been hearing me talk a lot about the vision for our church, and I'm sure some of you are sick of hearing about the vision for our church. Over the last three weeks, you've heard each of the pastors talk about their individual pillar of the mission, what that means to you, and you've also heard, if you came to our visioning sessions in September, you heard us talk about it there. Now, if you've absorbed nothing else from that, what you should have absorbed is the fact that this vision impacts you. Everyone in here is going to be expected to get involved in some way or another. What that means is, if you have been sitting on the sidelines of this congregation, coming to church, maybe enjoying this wonderful music that we hear every Sunday, listening to the sermons, maybe sending your kid to Sunday school, we need you to do more than sit in a pew. I love having an audience. Please don't get me wrong, like I really do. But what I love more is knowing that every single person who's listening to me is involved in making this place thrive. 
And the way we're going to do that is through the vision of this church. But I need your support, and I need you all to do your part. So what that means is, I need you to be part of Mission Lab. It's one Saturday for three times. It goes March, April, May. It's one Saturday, four hours. You can do that. It's not too much to do that. You can come out, and you need to learn how to be able to speak to people about your faith and about your love for this church. It's important, and you don't want to scare them off, so you need some help doing it. Trust me, I've tried. So, you need to do that. We need to get involved in the small groups. We need to invest in our own individual spirituality. I need you to be involved in the mission of this church, helping bring that to life. I need you to help care for those within these walls and beyond our walls by tending to their needs and giving them a listening ear. If you are going to apply that label Christian to your life, then we have to do more than simply sit in a pew. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. Some of you are sitting there saying to yourself, Alex, I do not have time to do this. I work a very stressful job. I don't barely get to see my family. And now you want to add in a small group and mission and all this stuff. I barely have time to breathe. And you want to add all these extra things onto my plate. And I frankly just don't have the time. And you know what? If I was sitting where you are and I was listening to some guy tell me about all this stuff, I'd probably feel the exact same way. But I need to help you understand why it's not like that. So most of the things that you end up being asked to do in life, I call these things life-taking or honestly soul-sucking. They suck your soul out. That's what most things people ask you to do are all about. These things that we're asking you to do operate very, very differently. They're going to give you life. They are life-giving. If you are willing to invest in this vision, if you are willing to really buy into it and give your all, then I guarantee you, I guarantee you, some amazing things are going to be happening in your life. Not only are you going to be developing a better connection with God and with other people, but you're going to be doing a lot of good for a lot of people. I mean, how often in our lives do we feel like our lives don't matter, as if they're meaningless? I mean, we're on this constant treadmill of work and family with no real sense that it's going anywhere positive. I know that for myself, I often feel disconnected from the people around me because of everything that life keeps throwing at me. Do you all feel that way sometimes? I mean, that's how I feel a lot of the time. And that's why I know that what we're offering here is so important because I know that if I'm willing to invest in these activities, that it's going to rejuvenate my soul and it's going to give me a sense of peace and tranquility that I lack in my day-to-day -day life. Now, the beauty, I think, of this whole thing is that if you're willing to do a little something for yourself, if you're willing to give yourself some self-care, and this is hard, because many of you in here, you're really good at helping other people. You're not so good at helping yourself. I'm the same way. We tend to be like that. I need you to take the first step and do something for yourself. And to help illustrate what I'm talking about, I want to talk just briefly 
about Solomon. Now, some of you know who Solomon is, some of you don't. Solomon is the second king of Israel. And just so we're clear, those of you who know your Bible, you're going to say, isn't he the third king? Well, he's the second king because he's the second king of the United Kingdom of Israel. So, he's the second king, but he becomes king when he's just this little boy. And so, there's no way that this kid is going to be able to rule this massive kingdom. And so God comes to him, and he says, what can I give you? This is kind of like that scene. You ever seen Aladdin, that movie where, you know, Aladdin, he goes up and he gets the genie in the bottle, right? It's kind of like that. What can I give you? And Solomon, he could have asked for riches or long life or the death of his enemies. That's what it says in the scripture. But instead, he asks for understanding of the mind to help lead his people. And he asks for the wisdom to discern between right and wrong. In essence, what's he asking for? Wisdom, right? Pretty simple. That's what he wants. Now, he needs that wisdom because without it, he's going to be an ineffective leader. So he asks for something for God for himself, and as a result, he's able to help all these other people who he's intended to rule. Do you understand that concept? Okay, the same thing applies to you and to me. We need something from God for ourselves if we are going to help all these other people out here. So let me explain to you how this works because the vision is designed to work this way. So if you're willing to give me the one hour, let's say you're willing to invest that one hour in the small groups, in your own individual spirituality. You do that one hour, you're going to develop this deeper connection with God. So you get this deep connection with God. That connection is going to motivate you to want to help the least and the lost in our community. And when you start helping the least and the lost, then you're going to find this sense of purpose and meaning that has been lacking in your life. And when you find that sense of purpose and meaning, you still follow me, we're going together here. Purpose and meaning, that's going to have a ripple effect. Because what's going to happen is, people around you are going to be feeling that love and that care that you have shown to all these other people in your life. So your family, your friends, your neighbors, your community, they are going to benefit from all of that care. So it starts with you investing a little bit for yourself, doing something for you, and in the long run, it helps all these people. Do you understand how that works? Okay. Now, the vision is designed to work that way. And I need your help as the dream managers of this congregation to make that vision a reality. I need you to invest your hours. I need you to invest your heart. And I need you to invest financially. If we're going to bring this vision to life, then we need to work together to make this church the kind of place that's really going to serve God, and that requires money. In fact, it requires $1.3 million per year. Now, I want to talk about that $1.3 million for a second. $1.3 million does not buy a lot of frills for myself and the staff. We don't just get to go out and party because you gave us $1.3 million. What happens is $1.3 million is the basic cost of running the programs, keeping the lights on, and making sure that it's comfortable in here, and then paying for our salaries. Now, I know 
that for many of you, when we have these days where we actually come and talk about money and ask you for money, it can feel kind of awkward. I remember those days when I was sitting where you are, listening to somebody talk about money, and I would always think to myself, I knew I should have slept in this morning. <laughs> it's the money talk. <laughs> but these talks are important because you all need to know the reality of what it takes for this place to actually function and thrive. So let me give you that number one more time. 1.3 million dollars. Now if anybody has 1.3 million dollars sitting around, let me know because we have to have a conversation. <laughs> but I'm assuming that's not the case. So we need to break that down. So what does that mean for you? Because I know nobody has that in here to just write a check. So 1.3 million dollars, if you break that down based on our congregation, that's the people like you. You come here on Sunday, you're involved, you're a part of it. Maybe you listen on the webcast. All of those people, and then you get rid of those who can't afford to pay anything. They don't have money, like youth. I mean, it's nothing against you. It's just that you're in school. You don't have an income. So you get rid of all those people, and you end up with about 875 folks. That's people who are here, people who are invested, and people who have money to give. If you do the division into 1.3 million, it comes out to about $1,500 per person. $1,500 per person. So if you're two people, right, if, you're, if you have a spouse and you both are members, that would be $3,000. And just so you don't think I'm asking you to do something that I don't do myself, I give a lot more than $3,000 to the church in my own personal tithing. I would never ask you to do something that I am not personally doing myself. $1,500, though, I know for some of you, that's a lot of money, and I understand that. But let me break that down on a week-to-week -week basis. If you do that throughout the year, $1,500, that's $29 a week. If you're going to get specific, I think it's $28.84. $29 a week. Now, I know a lot of you spend $29 a week at Starbucks on coffee. <laughs> so I don't think it's too far out of the realm a possibility to do $29 a week. But the difference between Starbucks, which gives you a lot of calories and a caffeine high, which is good, which is good, and here, is that here you're going to find spiritual fulfillment and you're going to do a lot of good for a lot of people. Now, if you're used to giving more than $1,500 a year to the church, please, please continue doing so. I don't want to dissuade you from that. But I want everybody to be on the same page that really, if you can do it, $1,500 per person is really where we need to be. And so I want to ask you to pray about what you plan to give to the church in the coming weeks. You know, Usually when somebody asks me for money, I can tell you what my default response is. I go home, I look at my budget, I lay it out and I say, well, this is how much I got. And that's how it works. But I hope it's a lot less robotic than that. You know, for a long time I gave to the church, but I did so with no joy in my heart. I'll be honest with you, giving to the church almost felt like a burden. But then, as I got older, I came to realize that Giving your money away, it should feel good. It should feel like you're doing something good for yourself and for other people. You all work hard for your money. I know you do. 
And so when you're going to part with your hard-earned dollars, particularly when you give it to a church, then you want to feel that that money is doing something important that honors God. Is that right? Absolutely. So next week, it's Commitment Sunday. And on Commitment Sunday, it's where you write down the amount that you plan to give to the church in the coming year. You should have received a letter in the mail from me and one of those commitment cards. If you didn't, there's some in the pew right there that you can look at and take with you. As you contemplate what number you plan to write down for the coming year, I want you to reflect on what we're trying to do here. I want you to reflect on how your hard-earned dollars are going to fund something that is vitally important for yourself and for other people. But most importantly, I want you to remember that you are a dream manager of this congregation. You are going to be the person who makes a significant contribution to bringing people's dreams to life. I want to thank you for doing your part. And I want to thank you for helping to bring those dreams to life. Amen. Thanks for listening. And if you want to learn more about First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights, please visit www.fpcah.org for more information on service times, directions, and to learn more about the First Pres family of faith.